Firstly, would you would you buy his uh, re- legal reasons? Uh, I wouldn't buy it. I mean, the guy knew he, he, this court case was coming up for years, never mind months. Um, the guys he claimed that the guys at one zero knew about it, knew like that it may cause an issue. But building up to it, I mean, he did an interview and off the ball about it. He did loads of different PR stunts, building up against this tweeted the tweet to Paul Kimmage. Uh, basically just building up to this 1-0 conference then pulls out the day before I think he it's it's hard to know what happened but I think he just bottled it in the end Do you think Lance bottled it or do you, who do you think is to blame here because there's one side of obviously should we really have expected any less from Lance Armstrong or really can we point any kind of finger at the organisers who took this huge risk of t- taking people's money and aren't actually handing out refunds because the rest of the conference will go on meaning you know there's plenty of people who've turned up today spending hard-earned cash expecting to see Lance Armstrong be grilled by Ewan McKenna and have been left with nothing now well it's a bit like um, it's a bit like Tyson Fury's tweet about him retiring and then every news outlet in the country had uh, had the tweet up saying oh Tyson Fury's gone he's retired then the day after he comes out and he basically laughed at the media saying that he played them like a fiddle and you could in some ways say that that's what Lance Armstrong did I mean uh, everyone in the media knows what Lance is what Lance is like now uh, they didn't back when back when he was a cyclist but they know what he's like now and people shouldn't have built it up to be what like the biggest interview in the, of the year <laughs> given him what he wants giving him the attention that he craves so badly because this this for me was pure publicity do you think the motors story might have anything to do with it well there's that side too there's that side there did he bottle it or was it just a complete pr stunt um i don't think he would have backed away from that he would have continued lying just like he did yeah. back when he was cycling because it does seem that this motor story is going to come out from what we've been listening to Jared Gilroy and off the ball the other week he interviewed Lance Lance completely denied having any association with these mo- like these motors in the bikes but then they went on to interview the man who had created the motors who says basically claimed you know he had no intention of it going to cycling but that's what his invention got used for and that some cyclists were and you think Lance Armstrong might be backtracking a bit because there is a story going to come out soon and well, it may suggest that he will have cheated even further. Well if you look back to Lance's career um, he lied the whole way through it and he was so confident in his lies mm-hmm. that he almost started believing them himself every single press conference he said that he was clean every single time he was interviewed he got insulted or he slated the guy who asked him like how dare you ask me that question uh, I'm a clean cyclist. He he went to such extreme lengths 
to prove that he was innocent when he so clearly wasn't that I don't think uh, an interview about motors would have would have scared him. I mean, why not? He he could have just continued lying. Well, do you think now that he's trying to promote this clean reputation and I'm going this kind of look? I'm going to open up now, lads. I'll just I'll just tell you the truth to be honest and then completely denies one thing that's going to come out again later is how many chances is he going to get before people are just going to even stop paying him for interviews in the first place because he's just going to lie to them this is supposed to be a page turn for him yeah well like can his reputation really get any more tarnished Uh, no that's very true but can you justify going around getting interviews is what I'm kind of trying to say basically collecting money off people I think a normal human trying to bring yourself back into the world make up a lot of debt that you've accumulated and go with this this attitude that you're going to tell the truth now and this is this is the draw for him is that people think that he is going to open up and just be honest about what's happened and if it turns out that he's lied again that just puts everything nobody's going to want to be arsed interviewing him anymore well a th- like a, nor- a normal human being would probably feel bad about that but as you, as as you see from last season, like he's a complete narcissist. Like he he loves loves listening to himself. He loves his own image, loves this brand that he's built and tarnished. And honestly, I don't think it would bother him in the slightest taking money for interviews that he knows he's lying in. Yeah, well, it's it's yet to be clear now whether um, he will be still receiving money. I don't know what way the contracts work with the the guys who are organising Zero One, but the money is certainly not going back to the consumer. So it's we'll just have to wait and see whether Lance is still going to pull anything from that contract that he actually pulled out of, or whether he will, uh, whether it'll be pocketed by the the corporation themselves. But we're going to move on to soccer now. There was Europa League last night. We had Manchester United scoring four against Fenerbahce, um, two penalties. Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard, good finishes. What are your thoughts? I was li- liberating, absolutely <laughs> fantastic, free flowing football. Um, no, it was Mourinho football. Four 0 is the most flattering <laughs> off score lines. And we had a, we had a nice RVP uh, consolation at the end. Yeah, uh, uh, dream. Like, I mean, uh, Bleacher Report had a had a post up. It was like uh, Paul Pogba back. Um, Lovely, lovely uh, finishes by Jesse Lingard. Uh, nice home reception for Robin Van Persie. <laughs> Man United 5, Fernabachi. You think he would have uh, got that no. reception if it was an equaliser? No. <laughs> I mean, look, United played Liverpool at the start of the week and people were slating Paul Pogba because he was awful. And to be fair, he was he was better against Fernabachi, but he wasn't... He still wasn't the 100 million player that people are like saying he is now. Mourinho hit back at the Einsteins of football once again, <laughs> saying um, on on Tuesday or on Monday, sorry, he was uh, the worst player in the Premier League. Now he's uh, now he's a a, a a starlet for United, and he's right in a way. Like I mean, you can't criticize someone for one bad performance and then turn around two days later and say. Oh, he's definitely worth the money, <laughs> especially when the performance didn't match that. He scored a nice goal. I don't know why he took the penalty. Um, for me, like with Mata on the pitch, Rooney on the pitch, I think it must have been just a confidence booster. Neither of which took the second penalty either. Yeah, Martial took it. 
I don't mind Martial. Is that more of a confidence it. thing? I, I think it, I think that was to do a confidence. I mean, Martial hasn't been performing to his level this year, uh, but I really like Martial. Like, I think he's an excellent, excellent player. There's one thing I want to ask, and we'll cut it out if we can't figure out the answer because this whole next conversation might be a little bit pointless, but there's incessant booing going on throughout the game. Do you have any idea what that might have been about? I don't. I don't understand it. Um, the only thing I could even come close to thinking of was like maybe they're being Skirtle, former Liverpool player. But uh, well, we were trying to figure this out last night when when we were watching it, and there was nothing to boo. Um, I must have been Skirtle. I mean, unless they're, they're hardly booing Mourinho. I mean, no. what's there to boo? In my opinion, actually, with that he only got a point at Anfield is that um, is will you have higher expectations? Well. I was actually very, very angry after that because, for me, United should not be a team that are happy to go to Anfield and come out at a point. That just shouldn't be. But I think any away game for a big team, I think it's generally okay. I think getting a point away from home against a team that will be rivaling you is two points from them, essentially, as long yeah. as you win your home games. Well, that's, that's Mourinho's outlook as well, and... To be fair, I actually am really surprised with the reception Mourinho's getting given the start that he's had. What did you think of his reception at Anfield? Actually, considering this for <laughs> this intimidating fortress, and then we saw the tweet yeah. earlier this it's week. Just, of, that's, uh, that's just modern day football, isn't it? iPads and iPhones. I mean, it's, why do why do these guys get the premium seats when they're not real fans? <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous, absolutely it's ridiculous. Money. And on another quick note, Dundalk. One as uh, ended St. Petersburg two. Did we, did we expect anything else? I mean, okay, we can call it a spirited performance from Dundalk, but I think our expectations of them now are actually a lot higher than going out and just playing with credibility. I mean, they've really made a name for themselves and scoring, losing two one to Petersburg. Would you say it's um, respectful, or do you think that maybe they could have got a bit more out of the game? Um. Well, t- to Which be I fair, never to Dundalk, say to Dundalk, to be at, honest. Though. At the, at this stage with Dundalk, I think it's insulting <coughs> to say, um, "Oh, they're doing the country proud by not being awful." I think it's really insulting because they that generally seems to be the consensus. That that, that that seems to be the the feeling around it, and I mean, like they're a very good football inside. Daryl Horgan's one of, one of the brightest stars mm-hmm. in Ireland right now, um, and to to go one 0 up against Zenit St Petersburg. I mean, that just proves they're not just a spoofer team. Mm. But um, they're actually, they're still sitting second, so they're still in a good position to qualify for the next round. They've three games gone, three left to go. They've got Senate away, they've got Alkmaar at home and Maccabee Tel Aviv away. How important do you think the away game against Zenit in two weeks' time is? Do you think, because they're by far the greatest team in the group, and to be fair... Not a lot of teams can win in Russia. Yeah. So how do you feel uh, Stephen Kenny should approach a fixture like that? Defensively. Just go out there not to lose the game. But Go I, against the uh, the Dundalk etiquette of attacking football. Well, I mean, I think that that is a game they can afford to lose. They can't, they can't afford to lose that game because most teams qualify on 10 points or even 9 points. So if they... You're talking they um, need six points then from away in Tel Aviv, which I think is very possible, they, given other results they've had in their Champions yeah, League like track they, record. They could... Um, they're, they're away to Zenit, so they, if they lose that, they have AZ, Akamar at home, 
Which is very winnable Which as is well. a very winnable One. match. And if they win that, all they have to do is go to Tel Aviv and get a draw. And that'll be that will secure them. Most teams go through on ten points. So I think they can't afford to lose the game in Zenit. Um but to get anything out of it I think they're going to have to go defensive because <laughs> Russia is a very very hard place to go it is and Ed okay so we're going to go another day back and we're going to go into the Champions League on Tuesday and Wednesday I think the biggest thing we're asking about this I suppose is the Barcelona Man City game and the one thing that came out of it is the argument that's been going for a few weeks now Claudio Bravo's mistake tried to play with his feet what do you think about this whole team now, the Pep Guardiola thing? There was a little bit of it with Brendan Rodgers when he was at Liverpool, but wanting keepers to play with their feet and not necessarily being concerned with their shot-stopping abilities. Well, I think you do in the modern game, you want your you want your keeper to be able to play with your feet, but you want him to make the right decision at the right time. And Roy Keane went on a rant on ITV saying that it's all well and good being able to play with your feet, but you have to be you have to be smart in the way you do it. And with his red card, you see he comes out and there's a Barcelona player in front of him and he tries to play a pass instead of just clearing the line. Oh, it's firing, it's like just, <laughs> just booting the ball over the sideline, get back into goal, you're happy out. And even um, even his decision to put his hands up to stop the shot, he could he could have not done that. Like mm-hmm. If he had a jumped, it might have hit him and there was a Man City player behind him that could have stopped the shot as well. I mean... His decision making has been awful, and it's been awful in the past couple of weeks. I I haven't been impressed by him at all. But at the same time, Joe Hart's no better. Joe, <laughs> I'm sure Joe, Joe Hart was Joe laughing Hart is just, away in Italy. Joe Hart's just he he's just as overrated as yeah. Claudio Bravo. I think Bravo's had a few moments there that must have put a smile on Joe Hart's face. Oh, absolutely. But um, that puts Barcelona top of the table. They're three wins from three. Um, Atletico Madrid are three wins from three, and there's one other team that is three wins from three. Can you guess who they are? Leicester City. Leicester City. Um, How things are changing. It's madness. Uh, but you have to. W- would you rather be in Leicester's position and be three ones from three in the Champions League and, and uh, <laughs> give up your Premier League hopes? Nine points in the Champions League, eight points in the Premier League this season. It's. Uh, I don't know if they could be proud of that statistic, but um, I think they just have to go for it because, let's be honest. As magical and as romantic as their Premier League win was, they were n- probably unlikely, even if they had concentrated fully on Premier League this season, they yeah. they probably weren't going to do it again. They benefited from a lot of teams underperforming. Man City have started strong in the league, although they might have been hitting a bit of hump in the last week or two. There's still very, very little chance that they were going to retain the title, even on the same points total. Even if they got the exact same points as they did last year, they're still it's still an unlikely margin that was going to win you win you the title so you're in the Champions League now you you probably won't be in it again you might but it's not looking great well, at the if moment you, if you win it you are yeah you've got to go for it but are Leicester City going to beat a Barcelona I don't think so and yeah Ranieri is said to be very very angry over his Premier League form as well but yeah I don't think I don't think anybody can beat Barcelona Well, to be fair except like, Atletico Madrid yeah except for a Spanish team yeah I mean and people are rant on about how the Premier League is the best league in the world yeah we've only the, the best yeah. team in it at the moment got played off the field by Barcelona I mean yeah you can the thing is like even only two years doing this podcast this conversation has been had so many times about watching FC Barcelona hockey somebody in the Champions League and then us scratching our heads going jeez I don't know 
And then somebody beats him. Yeah, because you remember Surprisingly last... Surprisingly beats him. Do you remember last year we were talking about Roma as well? Like that 7 nil, and we're like, oh, the gulf between the, the, the elite in Europe and the, the second tier. And then they do it to Celtic and we're like, oh, geez, Celtic are terrible. They do it to City now and like that's yeah. England's best football team. And I don't know where... Uh, <coughs> I kind of got on precedent of last year is that they can be beaten, but uh, these group stages just seem to get more and more pointless every year. It do, it doesn't really bode well for the for the Premier League though. I mean, next year, UEFA or, or sorry, it's two thousand and eighteen. UEFA are bringing in the new the new rules for. Uh, yeah, what do you think uh, of that? I think it's absolutely ludicrous. It's horrible. Isn't They're it? giving England four automatic places, Spain four automatic places, Italy, Italy, Italy are the biggest winners out of all of this. But and then. They're confusing the matters even more by saying if you have historical uh, value to the foot to football in Europe, then you'll get. It's like this brown envelopes coming in from Milan and, and Amsterdam with Ajax because yeah. it's thirty. There's these teams that are just going to benefit hugely it's, from this. It's the lads in the a- AC Milan, <sighs> and Inter Milan, that the board they just thought, how can we get our teams back in the Europe's top? top division I know I don't, I don't understand it either how you can justify successful teams in the past I mean are not Suarez going to be getting Champions League games now or what's the deal with that but uh, no that, Did one, you, um, that one's very confusing all right. it's it's causing like widespread just controversy across Europe but it's there's, about there's money teams, oh, it's, uh, ultimately it, com- it comes down to money but there's teams thinking of like disbanding the Champions League and are you talking about the, the Atlantic, Atlantic League and starting an yes. Atlantic League Celtic what, Copenhagen um, Ajax, Ajax PSV possibly yeah. and uh, Rangers Rain. <laughs> what do you think of this I mean as a Celtic fan I, I, I'm not going to make you be neutral on this I'll let you talk yeah. to a Celtic fan I mean you want to be in the Champions League I mean Atlantic League like, what I mean, it's what not even like they're that, that far off. I mean, they're still pulling off results at home. It was a bad result for them this week against Mönchengladbach. Yeah, that was I mean, too they're, very they're, bad. They were outclassed, um, but and which is a shame because they were playing a team that had about five or six players injured. Yeah, and I were at home in Parkhead, the fortress that managed to give City a really good go the week before. They were they were very unlucky not to beat uh, City, but they were outclassed by Mönchengladbach. Um, honestly. For for Celtic to survive as a top European club, they have to get out of Scotland. It's it's a dying league. They won't be in Europe for long. Even if they start in an Atlantic league, they might not even be able to qualify for that <laughs> in a few years' time. Um, yeah, no, it's the whole the whole UEFA thing. It's just brown envelopes, right, left, and centre. Are we allowed to say that? It is potentially Nobody, poten- uh, potentially yeah. <laughs> brown envelopes everywhere. Um, With this, it, it smells. It stinks. <laughs> it's a little Michael Conlon moment there. So, do you think this rules out any chance of Celtic gaining Europa League place? I mean, they're two points. They're only two points behind Manchester United back, but their away form has been pretty horrific. Uh, and I don't know how they're gonna. They have to go to City. They have to go to Gladbach. And they have to take on. And they have the, to take Barca at home, which has been done. But Tony Watts, great day by out, better yes. by better Celtic sides. Yes, um, I don't think they have the players to do it this this time round. But 
you'd I I would gladly take Europe Europa League All right. at this stage. All right. So like before we before we leave it on the Champions League, we're just gonna touch on two teams. Arsenal six 0 against Ludogorets. Goretz. Theo Walcott, Mesut Ozil scoring a hat trick. I think that was his first hat trick ever. Um, they're well, they're tied with PSG now in the top on seven points. Um, how do you think Arsenal are going to get on? Do you think there any, do you think there's anything different about them this season that suggests they might be able to uh, continue their semester one promise? Well, the past the past couple of years, there've been three positions that they've been lacking in, and that's defensive midfield, defence, and striker. They've fixed two of those positions. If they can just find a new striker now, then I think Arsenal will be a force in a few years' time. This year, I can't And it's see. really a part they've struggled with. Who do you think they should consider signing? I mean... If you were they, if you were Wenger in January. You, you can't take Higuain because he's gone. He's tied they, up they, on contracts. They failed they feel to get him. Um, who else can you get? Uh, there's nobody really other than... there's a, like every, every player I can think of to move to Arsenal is just another... Giroud mm. another target man which just doesn't suit Arsenal do you think they should dip into the French league for a striker or, or would you like to see Arsenal go for the more of their 90s approach and actually buy an English player well not even an English player but somebody from the English a striker from a smaller English team that's doing well like say go in for a Benteke or a Lukaku or I honestly cannot think of any strikers that Arsenal can buy right now <laughs> that will suit the Arsenal play. There's no real Arsenal don't really suit a a centre forward in any way. Mm-hmm. They need an, an Aguero or a, a Luis Suarez, um, someone who can play. It's not too many of them. There's not like I mean, <laughs> if there was too many of them, they would be banging in the goals all the time. But um, if they can get if they can get Danny Welbeck fit. I think he's actually a better suit for Arsenal than Olivier Giroud ever will be. All right, and uh, just before we finish up on Champions League, one more one more English interest to go. Tottenham Hotspur drawing away to Leverkusen. Not a bad result. They've lost to Monaco. They've beaten CSKA. They're four points. They're second in the table, which is quite impressive that four points gets you that. But um, how do you rate them this season? I think they've been excellent. Um, but I think they need to concentrate on the league. Yeah. If I were if I were Pochettino, I would just discard European football this year and go for go for the league full on this year because they came very very close last year. But it's still I still have the Do you mindset. think they have the squad that's capable of winning the league? Um because they did juggle Europa last year for a certain amount of time before. I mean they they brought in Janssen uh, as a striker and that is the main position they struggled with yeah. depth last year because uh, they only had Harry Kane but I just can't get out of the mindset that Tottenham Hotspur aren't going to win the league mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like Arsenal Arsenal are always going to be a fourth place team it's really it's really easy to forget that they actually came third last yeah. season oh yeah I mean after like, Newcastle turned up to play football after 38 games for me for me I just Tottenham's still Tottenham I mean they're still going to bottle it and what do you think about Son and his rise to form this season compared to last, you'd want him and to. I mean, he was what he cost them eighteen million. Yeah, was it? Um, and how there is a bit more, just a little bit more playmaking in midfield between him, Ericsson, Deli Ali, and Lamella all seem to be linking up well. But the strike force isn't. Yeah, you just I th- I th- I still think they need another striker. Mm, it's kind of it kind they of need rem- a different striker because Janssen and Kane yeah. are both big 
burly men yeah. that like to take on defenders but I think they need someone who can inject that bit of pace when it's needed do you think that's been a problem for Spurs over the past couple of years ever since you could even say since the end of Robbie Keane and they were bringing in players like Soldado and, and sticking them up front yeah slow players they weren't ever they've always been kind of a great team to watch but they've never really had one single out and out goal scorer until last season with Kane's run yeah I mean um, if you look at most of the teams that win the league they have that player that you look at and think he's a different class um, they had they had it in Bale obviously you're not going to mm. hold on to that kind of player if you're not uh, winning the league uh, if you look at Man City they have Aguero uh, well United you'd like to think Pogba will come to be that player uh, with Liverpool don't have one Arsenal don't have one I think that's the main problem with English, English teams at the minute they don't have these they have a massive array of players that are big names but they don't have the mm. star players of Europe Okay, and uh, that's we're just going to finish up on the Champions League there and we're going to finish the football show for today. But just before I let you go, Enda, I'm going to get you just to quickly predict the Chelsea-Manchester United game. What do you expect from us? It's going to be the most boring game of all time. <laughs> is it going to be Red Monday or is it going to be more Europa League Thursday for United? Well, what what does what does, uh, what does does Blue and Red make if you if you mix them together? <laughs> what, what are Sky Sports going to build this game up oh, to Oh, it's be? this Purple Sunday yeah. now. <laughs> to be fair, as far as they can call it Super Sunday and I think it's fair enough, Chelsea, man. You know, it's still, yeah, a, it's, la- still an, it's a glamour fixture. It might not be a glamour game itself, but... Uh, well, last week, <laughs> last week Twitter went mad because people... Uh, about Super Sunday because purple it was uh, purple Sunday. Purple Sunday should <laughs> that's I I like that. Yeah, um, you got City and Southampton. And long, like, also, that's that's another shade of purple there. If we're gonna. I I said I wasn't going to talk. Well, I actually didn't. I did not say I wasn't going to talk about it. But Flaney will start that game. <laughs> After your complaints about Anfield, would you take a point at Stamford Bridge? Uh I think Mourinho is going to take a point at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> uh, I I. I will I will accept a point at Stamford Bridge more than I would taking one from Anfield. Alright, that's brilliant. Right, thanks very much for listening. Coming up next will be Billy Keenan with the rugby. Around this fixture is a huge amount of emotion, a huge amount of passion, and it's steeped in history. Well, I feel it's fake. Jack Carting waltzes through. I think I think too much. I feel it's an extra team try and slide off the top drawer. Ain't nobody watching. I feel it's fake. What a spell of rugby. I just fade I away. I feel it. And it's also a who hits the sweet spot for Lanston. She's in a Welcome to the rugby version of Action Replay Extra Time. Uh, we're here to discuss all things um, rugby, uh, Chabby's Cup action, and it's going to be an inevitably emotional weekend in, in the rugby this weekend. I'm joined here by Joseph O'Gorman and Billy Keenan. How are you getting on, lads? Yep, very well. Billy, I'm going to start with Leinster. We're going to start with the, the matches first, and then we'll come to uh, Anthony Foley at, at near the end. Starting with Leinster, they came up against a top four side cast in the RDS, 33-15 to Leinster. It was an impressive scoreline, but was it important to take into account the opposition? 
Yeah, I think it was it was a good battle early on, and uh, the, there was a definite uh, fight going on between the front rows. You know, uh, Tyke Furlong was struggling a little bit before he came off with injury. Uh, they started to build a bit of a score, and I think the Castray players kind of just dropped their heads. And I think the score line did flatter Lencer a little bit more. And I think Leo Cullen will definitely try and instill that they're not going to run away with themselves. That they're definitely going to look at the performance in the, the first 50, 55 minutes before the game started opening up and balls are being thrown around. But Joseph, given the calibre of, of the side that they were playing, was this really important after the disappointment of last year? But you have to take into consideration the fact that even though Caster, I think, ninth in the top 14, they have, I think it's the tightest defence, one of the tightest defences in the league. I think there's only two teams have conceded less points than they have. So it's, it's hard to judge, really, compared to the last last mm. year's. Billy, we, we, we spoke to Gordon Darcy before the Leinster Munster derby two weeks ago, and we asked him about jo- Joey Carvey announced himself as a player. He disagreed questioned the opposition and the stakes after making his European debut has Carberry now finally announced himself because he's kind of divided an opinion a little bit not even just with Gordon Darcy Gordon if you're listening I think Joey Carberry has has definitely he's definitely announced himself now okay and um, maybe announces is probably the wrong word but I think he's definitely left a marker to the likes of even Carl Marsh Ross Byrne who's playing for the Leinster Rays over the weekend Sexton was uh, a late withdrawal and Joey Carberry came into the team and I think he did a fantastic job, definitely in contention for a man of the match. And what was so good, before a, a knockdown ball or, or, or an askew kick laid on in the, the second half, before that it was a very composed performance. There was nothing flashy or anything uh, particularly flashy when he did the nuts and bolts right, which is what you need from your 10 to get that back line of Henshaw and Ringrose moving. Joseph, you're not entirely sold on the idea of Joey Kirby just yet. What would you like to see more of from him? I think what one of the great advantages Ireland have with Johnny Sexton is that he's a really good defensive ten. Like he, he has no like qualms about going in, heading into malls, hitting rocks, like making tackles. I think Joey Carberry, he definitely has loads and loads of potential, but it's just a couple of years of experience before he will really be like a classy player. Oh, definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's no one, even his biggest uh, fans, who are calling him the the finished article. But to have a player of that potential and displaying that potential on the European stage. Is, uh, is really reassuring with the likes of Ian Madigan leaving and Cahal Marsh who's coming on 24 you know not exactly stepping up to where we wanted to be yet and there's a healthy now battle for positions now with this team with all these new young 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 guns and especially in this Leinster team it's it's going to be exciting in, in the next year or two oh, it's, it's fantastic to see the amount of competition I think people throughout the country are perplexed by the combination in the back row at any given week Sean O'Brien's returning against Montpellier. He yeah, came not in. even the young people. Yeah. It's, it's some people coming back. Sean, off o- you know, Sean O'Brien had to knock off you know, Reese Ruddock, Dan Levy and even Dominic Ryan and uh, Jordy Murphy to get into this team and he's been given a shot and you can be damn well sure that if Sean O'Brien doesn't, uh, doesn't bring it against Montpellier that there are the likes of these players to fill in. Looking at fly half, you know, Ross Byrne is going well and he impressed in pre-season. Joey Carberry just a little bit more uh, exciting. So you have Sexton, Ross Byrne in the cent- uh, at fly half. And then even the likes of the front row with Keane Healy coming back into some serious form. He's starting against Montpellier this week. And Jack McGrath, who's been playing phenomenally, is on the bench. So there's competition all over this team and I think it's only making them better. What do you think about th- this weekend's prospects for Leinster? It's going to be a much tougher game than last week, I think. Like Montpellier, they're a much better side. They've got a lot more international players, and like they've probably Jake White, you know, he's a World Cup winning coach. They've just got 
serious then they've really got good strength and depth as well so it's going to be a much tougher match and mm. it's oh, the yeah. Al- the Altrad Stadium is, is definitely a little bit of a fortress you know under the Galtier area there was champagne rugby playing there particularly but under White they've broken contract laws they've signed a serious amount of South African players and they're a huge behemoth team now with the likes of the Duplessis brothers and then even the Manny Nandolo from the Crusaders Fijian International an a scary players now playing on the wing and with that bulk they can actually you know release some pressure onto the likes of um, Benjamin Fall and um, Marvin O'Connor who's now has been called into the French camp so they do have one or two backs to um, to follow up with that huge huge four pack and it's going to be tough score predictions lads for that game mm, I don't know I think it's it's going to be very tough. I think you'll see the likes of Bismarck Duplessis throwing in those massive tackles on a possibly not 100% fit Johnny Sexton who does return into the team but a little bit of trepidation doesn't bode well. I'd say they'll definitely be targeting him. We're going to look back to you know, talking France, Ireland, Matthew Bastro hitting Johnny Sexton. It's going to be the same but this time it's with Bismarck Duplessis. Score predictions... I think Leinster are on a good wave. They're on. They're they're riding a good bit of form, and I think they'll definitely be a bit more confident with sex in there in terms of manipulating and managing the game. Um, but it's it's going to be very tough, definitely. Do you think they can d- get the job done, Jules? I wouldn't be that confident. Maybe a losing bonus point. I'd be maybe quite more confident about them getting that, but I don't. S- couldn't see them winning it really. It's interesting to see the team selection. Uh, James Tracy has been brought in on hooker Mike McCarthy returns the team Mike McCarthy is a dog of a player (laughs) if you go back and look at any of these matches and follow Mike McCarthy holding players down jersey pulling you know late kind of tackles just aggravating the opposition and I think that's a definite definite good call to bring in Mike McCarthy and it's been very well planned to bring him back Sean O'Brien comes back into the mix as well we talked about I think if there is a match that Leinster are going to lose it's going to be this one and they could afford to lose it but a, a losing bonus point is something that they could come away with moving to Connacht now how impressive how impressive was the win and how it was a historical nearly wasn't it yeah definitely you especially know, the way they came back especially the way they came back early season there were questions hanging over them they looked to be back into their stride they came back from a 10 point deficit to beat Toulouse which are the richest club in the world a budget revolving somewhere around 30 million estimated that an incredible performance and it's definitely a victory for Pat Lamb's running rugby over this you know imported bought behemoths that Toulouse have they have the biggest budget and they have to be one of the most inefficient spenders in the top 14 handing out contracts to the likes of Richie Gray for four years he performed well but there's if you look at Connacht Ali Muldowney a key figure a key link player for Connacht last year's left for Grenoble they brought in Andrew Brown they promoted him from you know the bench where he spent a lot of time last year and Pat Lamb and Dave Ellis the skills coach who's soon to be leaving are working extremely hard to bring Andrew Brown back up to speed to bring make him a, a valuable cog in this Connacht team improving their players where Toulouse are going abroad and buying what they consider to be the finished article they've got an ageing squad Guthrow Steenkamp uh, Census Johnson Joe Takori Thierry Dusitois Yohan uh, Uge who's been injured with ACL and, and Bannings these are their players and they're just not the Toulouse of old Joseph was this the final nail in the coffin for Connacht as putting away for putting to bed the inferiority province complex that some people had in the past of them yeah I think well the Pro 12 final last yeah, well, that was in, the in first August step. was really that put the, all that to bed and 
Like they've been coming on ever since that win against Ulster. They've been still climbing, and there's this match against Avery on the weekend should really put any remaining kind of dust and are in the cupboard to bed, as you could say. Now Ulster left Bordeaux with zero points to a scoreline of twenty eight thirteen, and the Madigan Jackson battle wasn't at all it cracked up to be with Madigan leaving the field after fifty two minutes. Were you very disappointed with that? Yeah, you, I we've talked about it on the show a Madigan fan. It's built up all week to be this this intense battle of Madigan versus Jackson, and it just didn't it didn't live up to it. And uh, this isn't even Sky Sports like this is international selection players who've competed in the past. It just didn't it didn't live up. Bordeaux have a very a little uh, bit like Red Monday, uh, yeah, in definitely the, in the soccer podcast. <laughs> also, uh, Bordeaux, pardon me, are, are employing this uh, kick behind their their wingers um, approach and even overhead. And Madigan was doing that very well. But the Ulster defence was definitely frustrating Bordeaux in those early stages, actually up to the 60th, 60th, 65th minute. And it was definitely leaving uh, leaving Madigan, you know, looking as if he was the problem. You know, Lionel Boxy came on and, uh, you know, impressed against a tiring Ulster defence. There was some huge monumental performances, particularly from Ian Henderson. I don't know how many times Bordeaux were camped on the Ulster line and it came from moments of magic from Ian Henderson to turn it around and eventually that, that huge defence those tackles added up and they just pulled away with two or three tries in the closing stages Joseph obviously it was a disappointing performance but looking more closely at the, the backup the deputy of uh, Sexton who has the edge going into the internationals? I think Ian Madigan has come out and said that he'll st- be staying with Bordeaux for, for the November international, so it's really not a battle anymore. Uh, it's just Paddy Jackson now. And looking ahead to Ulster's games, do you think they can bounce back from this defeat? I, Ulster, they have returned. Charles Pietau returning this weekend, that'll be a big advantage. And, you know, they've been performed really well in the Pro 12, so I don't see why they shouldn't bounce back. Do you like Pietau, Billy? Yeah, Breen, we've um, <laughs> we've drooled over Pietau before in studio. Uh, oh, he's a terrific player, just incredibly electric, and he showed that in Wasps. And with this Ulster backline, Jackson, Pienaar, Olding, Bo, Payne, he will fit in seamlessly, and he can definitely work off that fantastic uh, backline. Even Neil Doak, an incredible, a very good backs coach, he can, I think, get the best out of Pietau. You now have, uh, we're going to turn to Anthony Foley and Munster. Uh, you have um, statements to read. Yeah, at the, at the weekend it was some terrible news leaving the, the RDS on, on such a buzz to then come home and, and see the next day a, a, about this news. Um, this TV fell silent and I thought my brother had switched it off or, or muted it. But when I came around, it, it was just, it's a terrible, terrible loss and it, it hits definitely close to home that the IRFU statement it is with deep regret that the Irish Rugby Football Union and Munster Rugby must advise of the passing overnight of Munster head coach Anthony Foley at the team hotel in Paris and the family statement with Anthony Foley's passing we have ultimately lost an ad- amazing adoring and loving father and husband an equally caring and loyal devoted son and brother a central and go-to figure for the wider Foley and, and Hogan families and not only for the, th- those families, the Hogan and Foley families, but Munster family and Ireland family, they've lost a, a son and a brother and a father in many respects, the way he was when he was younger. Um, Donald Lenehan was uh, giving an interview and he remembers Anthony growing up when he was playing with his father, when especially that side that bet the All Blacks. And, you know, he, he was he was he was a figure in all walks of life. He was a teacher. He learned from many people and 
it's like someone a family member of a rugby community has has, has they've lost them now yeah during the coverage Tyrone Howe very put it very aptly that although we're knocking each other around you know week to week rugby within Ireland is a big family and I think that's definitely been shown you know Anthony Foley's passing shows that despite dwindling attendances and success you know Munster still matters you know Munster still matters to Ireland what we as members of other provinces that image that appears in your head as soon as you hear the word the name the history and culture comes to the fore that Munster as a team still matters to its people and I think the overwhelming support from players ex-past players coaches within Ireland clubs from abroad it's been phenomenal and it really shows the integrity of rugby is still there people talk about money taking over the sport but it these amateur-esque aspects to it you know clapping your team off the field you know making a tunnel those three cheers these are still important and I think Anthony Foley and what everyone has said about it he reduces back to its core and important parts and I think he just epitomises that, that, that bit about rugby that bit that's special and unfortunately not not unfortunately it's going to be a tribute to the life the celebration of Anthony Foley this match uh, tomorrow Joseph can you see this not being a distraction for both sides and uh, I know um, the Glasgow coach said that it, 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 both sides are going to benefit positively from it in this tribute but do you see that this could actually negatively affect both sides? Well, just the preparations. I, I can't even imagine how they must have been preparing for this match. Like you see, a guy like Anthony Foley would have been such a huge presence around the training ground and the dressing rooms. It's just like you saw the interview with like Peter O'Mahony and Razzy Rasmus. Like Peter O'Mahony was nearly nearly in tears with like with the effect, with the effect he had. Like he couldn't just couldn't do him justice at all. Um, I think in that press conference, um, Erasmus looked sick. He looked shocked, and O'Mahony said himself that he won't be able to do him justice. And I think, Brian, what you said about Anthony Foley being there and a member of the community, Peter O'Mahony said himself that there hasn't been a monster team in his lifetime that Anthony Foley hasn't been integral to. And I think exactly. that's that's what that's what it's all about. And and to see the funeral preparations, yes, there's it's a sour, it's a dire occasion but to see that red coming to the fore as well and all the just, songs being sung and uh, I, I think it's special and I just uh, our condolences and, and deepest thoughts go out to his family and unfortunately we have to just brush over the actual game all the emotions aside how do you see this going it's going to be incredibly tough um, I know they've dedicated the whole match day programme to, to Foley um, it's hard to see how the team announcement is at three o'clock today after the funeral, and it's hard to see. I mean, it's not even important to these players who no. have been around them. Looking to Glasgow, their campaign still goes on, and I hope that the people, and I know they will, Breen, you're on your way down soon, that they will show in response and appear at Thomond Park. And I think looking at players like O'Mahony and Dunica Ryan, and even with the likes of Jerry Flannery still involved the coaching structure Razzy Erasmus himself I think they'll perform for Foley and, and I really hope they do and I think all of the extra time uh, we, we, we give our condolences to the Foley family and the Munster community and all, all of Irish who has been affected by this by this tragic loss but that's all we have time for unfortunately lads um, you can 
You can look at our, our Please check our Extra Time podcast on SoundCloud and listen, tune in to Action Replay on Monday at 7pm and, and Thursday at 6pm. That's all we have time for, lads. I'd like to thank Billy and I'd like to thank Joseph. And bye for now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have to bring you some deeply shocking and tragic news that has just come through to us. I had a, I had a telephone conversation with Anthony not long after I was appointed and um, I was really, really impressed by the calibre of the man, even though it was only a short conversation. And Foley scores his fourth try for Ireland. Out of nothing. Great play. Everything that we know about Munster rugby now, the uncompromising nature of it, the honesty of it, that was Anthony Foley. He came out of the soil of Munster, and it's just a terrible sadness that he's going back into that soil too early. Ultimately, his final sort of comment was, you know, he's he's 100% supportive and, and is just really wants the Munster boys to be the best they can be, and he'll do everything he can to help that happen. And so, um, to that end, I was uh, again, you know, um, really, really uh, humbled by his approach and response. Anthony Foley was 42 years of age. 